0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was finishing up Ephesians chapter 1, where I was explaining the power struggle between God and the demonic powers. And in this power struggle, God resolved the conflict through the resurrection of Jesus, because through the resurrection of Jesus, he was also able to resurrect us. And this conflict has existed for a long time, from what I can tell, according to the records that we have. This conflict started with the Garden of Eden, or around that approximate time period, and that this conflict has been taking place on this planet, in this world, and we as humanity, have been a central part of this conflict. Now, the devil asserted his power through death, through the killing of humanity. And this was explained in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, that God created humanity to be spiritually alive. This was accomplished through the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, When God breathed within Adam the breath of life, that was a construction of words that describe the Holy Spirit of God, was breathed within Adam, and then God gave the law. He said that in the day that you eat from the wrong tree, referring to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will surely die. So this empowered the devil because he was able to kill Adam and Eve, through deception, through dishonesty. He told them a lie, and that was that they could be like God if they knew what was good and evil. We don't know for certain if the devil believed that himself. He didn't realize that he was being dishonest. Or maybe he did understand that he was being dishonest. We don't have that much information available to us. But what he did communicate was a lie, it was not true, whether he knew it or not, it was a lie, and this is what Adam and Eve embraced for themselves, and because they believed this, and they rejected their God, God departed from within them, withdrew his Holy Spirit from within them, and they became spiritually dead, so the power of the devil was in his destructive ability, There is the appearance that he had power because he knew what was good and evil, suggesting that if you do that which is good and you don't do that which is evil, that you, by your own decision, by your own will, you can be like God. But the power of the devil was through death, and in this case it was death through the absence of the Holy Spirit. With the absence of the Holy Spirit, then the devil and his demons could then reflect themselves within and through us, because, of course, we're wide open, we're certainly available, we have no spiritual being that we are depending on, that we are trusting in, that we are having faith in, and so the devil and his demons can fill in that gap, can fill up that space within us, can be the replacement for God. As long as we trust and believe in him, then we will become a reflection of the devil, which is a reasonable description of humanity ever since. But his power is through the spiritual death that he was able to take advantage of through God's creation. Now when God resurrected Jesus from the dead, it was in that way that he provided for the forgiveness of sins, which invoked the new covenant, as is described by Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, that he would be able to invoke a new covenant because he would remember our sins no more. And the other part of this covenant has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus rose from the dead so that he could then send the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, to us, who would then dwell within us when we believe and trust and surrender to the new covenant that he has offered to us. So because of what Jesus accomplished, what God accomplished within and through Jesus as Jesus, because of that, he is now able to make new creations, not like the old creation, were certainly something different than how Adam and Eve were originally created. There are similarities, but there are some differences, of course, as well. We are not the old creation. We are the new creation in Christ Jesus through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He is able to resurrect us who were dead because of what Adam and Eve decided to believe when the devil told them something that wasn't true. So God provided a solution to the problem that began in the Garden of Eden, and that was the spiritual death of humanity. Now, because of the way that he provided for forgiveness, he forgave the sins of the entire world once and for all. Because he did that, he resolved the sin issue once and for all. And because the sin issue is no longer an issue between us and God, there is no sin that a person can commit that would result in the spiritual death of that person ever again. So once you've been made spiritually alive, there's no undoing that. And this is the way that God has exercised his power so that the devil no longer has the power of spiritual death like he had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so it is through the power of the resurrection that God is able to assert his superiority over the devil His place above the devil and all principalities and powers and all other demons who may exist. And he has established this by referring to Jesus being above all of the principalities and powers because he has the power of the resurrection. What he has done is he has declared that the power of creating life is much greater than the power of destroying life. Again, the power of creating life is greater than the power of destroying life, and the way that God has created life through the gospel, through the new covenant, the devil cannot destroy that life which is being created, whereas he was able to destroy the life of Adam and Eve and humanity when the first creation took place in the Garden of Eden. So this is what I've been explaining in the previous messages. I just wanted to review that again, because in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, Paul goes on and he says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And what I want you to see is here in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, Paul makes it abundantly clear. I don't know how else he could have made it more clear that the real issue is that you were dead, and now you have been made alive, that that is the issue, that is the gospel, that is the purpose of God. It is to make people alive, that the good news, the gospel, has to do with being resurrected, Right now, today, being alive here physically in this world. And of course, you will experience the resurrection in the context of entering into the kingdom of heaven after you physically die. But predominantly, what he's referring to is the resurrection right now, or when you get saved, the resurrection is salvation. Salvation is being made spiritually alive. And for the most part, the Christian world has no concept of this. No concept of this at all. I have had an abundance of conversations with people in the Christian world asking questions, discussing this topic, listening to people's sermons, reading their books. And this is, for the most part, absent from the Christian world. It has been. The emphasis that the Christian world has been placing instead has been on the issue of sin and forgiveness, which of course is important, but this is not what salvation is. Salvation for most people is getting your sins forgiven, but salvation is about being made spiritually alive. The forgiveness of sins is what makes that possible because once you've been made spiritually alive, there will be no sin left unforgiven that would cause spiritual death. Instead, People don't go that far. They don't make it. I've seen this countless numbers of times. Ephesians chapter two, verse one is read and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and they just simply go right past the entire issue of life and death and they just go right into the subject of trespasses and sins and you have been forgiven as if Paul wrote something like, and you, he forgave who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, he certainly forgave, but that's not what it says here. That is not what it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. It does not say, and you, he forgave who were dead in trespasses and sins. If he did, what would that mean? That would mean that you were once dead in trespasses and sins in the sense that your trespasses and sins were held against you. But now you've been forgiven. So now you are still dead, but your trespasses and sins have been forgiven. Well, what good is that? Right? I mean, what good is that? So you're now a forgiven dead person. Well, that is the state of the world. Everyone in the world is forgiven, but everyone in the world is also spiritually dead. And this is why the people who reject Jesus will go to hell, because they are spiritually dead, and so they have no place among the living. They don't belong there. So everyone is going to go to hell, forgiven, but spiritually dead, to the lake of fire, because that's what you do with dead things. You burn them. That's what you do. And so everyone has been forgiven, but it's not going to help them. It's not going to do anything for them if they are still spiritually dead. Will people go to hell because of their sins? Well, with this kind of a description, no, they won't. But I am confident, from what I can tell, that there will be a lot of people who will protest. They will protest the decision of God with something that sounds like, But, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Why not let me into your home? Why not let me into your kingdom? Why not give me a room? Give me a place to be. Give me a place to hang out and live for all eternity with everybody else who is in there. The protest, the argument that people will raise is that they are a relatively good person or they are good enough. When that protest is made, And I'm confident that just about everybody's going to make it, because at this point, what else have they got to lose, right? I mean, you might as well just go ahead and give it a try. Try anything, because it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, you're going to lose anyway. And so make an effort of some kind. I understand that this is how a lot of people tend to think. And from what I can tell from the scriptures that we have, it appears that God will make a provision for that, that he will allow people to be judged according to their works. And every single person who is judged according to their works, will fail. Every person who gets judged in that manner, according to how good of a person they are, will fail. And so from their point of view, they will be judged according to their works and they will be condemned for their sin. That will be their point of view as a result of the discussion of, regarding whether or not they're going to have a place in the kingdom of heaven because they were a good person or because of their works or whatever. If a person wants to be judged that way, God can certainly accommodate that. And of course, the decision will not be in their favor. But from their point of view, they're being sent to hell for their sins. But it really isn't that way. They have been forgiven of those things, even though it is determined that that will not be the way that a person makes it into the kingdom of heaven. Even if they're forgiven of those sins, that still does not take away the argument of they're going to be in the presence of God because they have no sin. It's not going to work out that way. The issue is, is that they are spiritually dead, and that kind of a discussion is not going to resolve the problem of them being spiritually dead. You are either a forgiven dead person, or you are a forgiven living person. Those are the only kinds of people who can exist in this universe, who have been born into this world as a person, as a human, a descendant of Adam and Eve. You are either a forgiven dead person, or you are a forgiven living person. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, To those people who have believed and trusted in the gospel, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Therefore, everybody else are a bunch of forgiven dead people. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. Even though they have been forgiven from their trespasses and sins, they are still dead. And so this is the issue. Either the gospel has to do with Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven, Or the gospel has to do with Jesus died for your sins so that he can resurrect you spiritually through his indwelling presence, through the giving of the Holy Spirit so that you can be made spiritually alive. You can then be in the kingdom of heaven because you are a living person and that's where living people go. They go to the place, to the kingdom of the living. Now it goes on. In Ephesians chapter two, and he talks about the subject of sin in verse two. He says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. All right. So according to the prince of the power of the air, what was that way? It was the way of being spiritually dead and living in the context of trespasses and sins. Not necessarily because that is the intention. You know, the intention. I'm now going to be an evil person who is committed to nothing but sin. A person doesn't have to function that way. We do have people like that. We have had people like that in the world. But that's not what Paul is referring to. He is referring to people who were sincerely trying to live In some way that would be respectable, perhaps, in some way in accordance with what is good and evil, that is the way of the prince of the power of the air, referring to the devil, who now works in the sons of disobedience, still works in the sons of disobedience. How? Because no matter how much you may try to live in accordance with the knowledge of good and evil, you are going to fail. Whether you intentionally pursue it or you don't intentionally pursue it, whether you live by the restraint of the flesh or by the indulgence of the flesh, no matter how it's done, it will still end in failure. There will still be disobedience, no matter what, from those who live by the restraint of the flesh and from those who live by the indulgence of the flesh. Obviously, that is an absolute form of disobedience. But because there is no way that a person can live out of obedience, we weren't created to function that way. Everyone who walks either for the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh will fail. They will be walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, the Ephesians were without the law of God. They were without the law of Moses. And so you could imply that the Ephesians were living in accordance with the indulgence of the flesh. They were not that interested in living for the restraint of the flesh. There is the implication that they were walking, according to this world, outside of the definition of what is good and evil, according to the Mosaic Law. That is what people will usually see, and of course, that was taking place. But that's not all that Paul says. If you continue to read into verse 3, among whom also we... All once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. When he says you in verse 2 and we in verse 3, he is referring to you as in those of you who were without the Mosaic law, and we who were with the Mosaic law, who had the Mosaic law, who lived by the law, who tried to live by the law, who lived on the basis of repentance and obedience, whereas you did not, either way, it doesn't matter because both you and we, verse 2 and verse 3, were both living for the indulgence of the flesh, even though... There were some, referring to the we, who were perhaps trying to live according to the restraint of the flesh. It doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. Everyone were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's verse 3, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. So he refers to both categories both of which are still living by the flesh in order to emphasize the point that the issue is, are you spiritually alive or are you spiritually dead? When it comes to the sin issue, it had to be forgiven. There was no other way. But understand that there is a completely different way of life compared to living for the indulgence of the flesh or living for the restraint of the flesh. It is living by the Spirit. Not living by the flesh, either for the restraint or the indulgence, it's still living by the flesh and that there is another way of life entirely. Living by the law stirs up sin. And so, of course, even those who try to walk according to obedience to God are still going to fail. And in some cases, their sin can be even more pronounced than those who are not burdened by the effects of the law. There are four different ways that the law can have an effect on a person's life. The first way is through the natural rebellion of humanity, that people will just rebel against any declaration that they are to do or not to do something, that a person will say, well, don't be telling me what to do or what not to do. I'm going to do this just in order to assert my individuality or my godliness or whatever a person may decide to think of. The other way is to give a person something to think about that they should not do, and they would have never thought of doing those things until you mentioned it, you know, but now that you did, well, you know, that seems kind of appealing. Then there is the sin of religious pride. When a person feels that they have found a way to live in obedience to the law that is presented to them, well, religious pride manifests many different kinds of sins that are related to religious pride. And you probably will recognize that as you will find that religious people can often be some of the meanest people you ever run across in your life. And then the fourth way that the law will stir up sin is when you are rejected by God because of your failures. When, not if, but when you fail and you sin, when that happens, well then, you know, your God is not pleased with you. He rejects you. You're out of fellowship with him. There are many different ways that people will describe the separation that takes place between you and God, supposedly, because of your sin, because of your disobedience. So when you are separated from God, what are you going to do when you have a need to be loved and you have a need to be accepted? God certainly doesn't love or accept you until you, of course, get your flesh under control. And so a person will have no alternative but to go out into the world and indulge their flesh in sin, at least for maybe the hope that somebody might like them, might accept them, might pretend to love them at least. These are the fundamental ways through which the law will increase sin and disobedience in a person who tries to live for the restraint of the flesh. But I will explain this more in the next message.